Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One week of Premier League in the books and a couple of former stars are jumping on the Geggen pod this morning. Thomas Sorensen and Michael Bridges are joined by former Matilda Amy Duggan to break it all down. There's the kickoff for La Liga to look forward to. Have Barcelona sold their future for the now? Will it be enough to beat Real Madrid? We've got some high-profile socceroos on the move and what that could mean in the countdown to the World Cup. And we've got a blockbuster tie on the road to qualifying for the Champions League. That's all coming up right now on the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This is the Gagan Pod. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. Let's get into it. So there's one week of Premier League in the books and we have a stellar lineup to break it all down. Former Matilda Amy Duggan, Premier League legend and Danish international Thomas Sorensen and our favourite on the Gegen pod, former Premier League star Michael Bridges. Yeah, sorry to play favourites right off the bat, but Bridgie, we missed you last week for the season preview. Welcome back to the Gegen pod for a new season. How are you feeling given that you are over in England at the moment? Absolutely incredible. You know, to be over here for the build-up to the first weekend of the Premier League. I'm in the northeast of England. It's the football culture over here and it's, it's been great to be back, but I have missed you guys. Speaking of favourites and, and familiar faces, Thomas, we didn't have you last week either. Great to see you back. I hope all is well. Uh, what impression did the first weekend of the Premier League season leave you with? Yeah, that nothing is given. I think, uh, you know, we saw what Fulham did to to Liverpool, uh, that you, had to, you have to turn up. You have to, you know, you have to put on your... You know, your best performance to get a result and, and I think Klopp said it as well as anyone can say that uh, you know they didn't turn up and uh, he didn't give in any excuses he said they have to improve and, and uh, that's that's the level in the Premier League and I think it was great to see Mitrovic just continuously scoring you know the storylines obviously United the trouble they have I think it, it sets us up for a fantastic season I just can't wait for next weekend well let's uh, get into the games uh, we are a bit further into the week but we can still take a little look back at some of the results and some of the talking points to come out of it Amy the floor is yours what is the burning issue for you to come out of the first weekend of the Premier League season well, obviously the Liverpool draw was a shock to everyone, I think. So uh, I picked them to be right up there and I'm hoping that that draw is the last one they have this year or wins from here on, please. Um, look, Klopp stated he, he thought his players had the wrong attitude coming into that game and then obviously, you know, the changes that he made as substitutes, uh, especially with Nunes, worked really well. So I think they'll get back on track after this week. The United loss to Brighton, well, it can't get much worse uh, for United, can it? And... Uh, it's sorry times around the club and they've got some work to do to get back on track and stay right up there. Brighton was solid and look, um, they have the opportunity I think this season to take down a few more big names. They're a very well coached side. They knew what uh, Graham Potter expected for them in the centre of the field. You know, their midfield really owned that and I think um, 
they they're they're a well spaced side. They were lethal on the counter, and I think that they will probably take a few more big scalps um, this season. The other results probably went as expected. I know Bridgie was super happy about Newcastle. I don't think Nottingham were that bad, <laughs> um, but you know the storyline obviously is Harland because of his two goals against West Ham, um, and I think we're going to see plenty more where that came from this season. Michael, just on Liverpool dropping points, Manchester City taking care of business. When you were in your heyday in the Premier League, sort of turn of the millennium, early 2000s, the idea of getting to 90 points was the top of the mountain. Now we have a situation where teams probably start the season aiming for 95 plus. The idea of winning the league in the 80s or even the 70s feels like a foreign concept. So how how much of a blow is it for Liverpool to have dropped points or can we just say it's the first weekend of the season, everyone relax? It's a blow for the so-called pundits like myself that said Liverpool would win the title and after week one, they're playing catch-up. But I've got to say, you know, like you say, you're playing catch-up from week one and it, it didn't go down very well. But I thought Fulham were absolutely outstanding from start to finish, I've got to say. And it was good to see Klopp have that initiative to, to have a go. Uh, and they got themselves, you know, came away with the point. I don't think they actually deserved a point. And what I really loved is the fact that Fulham put out um, a picture of them watering the pitch because Klopp said it was so dry and it affected their game. It wasn't. Liverpool just did not come out of the starting blocks and pre-season they've looked magnificent and it was just it's always a a dodgy one when you play a team that has just been promoted in the first game of the season Liverpool had this 4-4 draw with Leeds United if you do remember and again, they scraped, scraped themselves to get a point out of that game. They're playing catch-up already and they'll be absolutely gutted because they'll have seen City's performance. They're two points behind already. Thomas, is talking about points tallies as a pre-season aim the sort of thing that only the media does? Or in your experience, is it the sort of thing that the gaffer at the start of the season would say 40 points or 45 points, that's what we're aiming for? Or are they, they far better at just setting week-to-week goals rather than, say, talking about an arbitrary number that you may need to get to to either avoid relegation or make Europe or win the title it's funny because I, I never thought about it my whole career you know at the start of the season what we would end up with until we had Mark Hughes at Stoke and he brought us all in before the first game of the season and he had divided the whole season up into tranches of, of seven eight games and then he got us to sit in a group and actually pick out what points we were going to expect to get and then say okay in, in trench number one, we, we expect eight points. Trench number two, we expect 12 points. And then he held us to it all the way through the season, saying now we're two points behind, we're two points. And I, I'd never seen it and never seen it done like that before. So that's the only time I've started a season with, with an actual expectation of where we should be at certain points. That long-term goal setting, if, if you were Liverpool and you were coming in and, and you're like you had a base-level expectation that against the three promoted teams, we are going to pick up 18 points, we're going to win all six games, that's already out the door. Uh, do you think that we can read a great deal into Manchester City looking so convincing against West Ham, Liverpool dropping points, uh, uh, Manchester United losing? I mean, how do you avoid throwing the baby out with the bathwater, especially given the media's fervour in the first couple of days after these results to analyse everything. I follow Talk Sport on Twitter and they play the, the most <laughs> hilarious talkback callers who are ready to sack the manager after one game. The, the psychology side of it, 
how how difficult how difficult is it to just make sure that everyone keeps a level head and stays the course over 38 games? Yeah, well, let's just calm the farm, really, because, you know, we've had 90 minutes and in some cases for some players, 30 minutes, a glimpse of what we're going to see this year. And I think, you know, pundits and, and media personalities, we all want to say, well, what, do, what does that mean? What does that say for the season ahead? Ultimately, at the end of the game, you either had a good 90 minutes or a bad 90 minutes or somewhere in between and you've landed where you've landed and you can't change it. But what you can do is learn from it. And I think, you know, Klopp was very upfront. I know he had a whinge about the dry pitch and I don't think that made an iota of difference. But what did make a difference was his player's attitude. And I think his players probably went in there overconfident, thinking that they were going to walk over this, being the top side, and probably didn't realise the league will be a bit closer than, you know, I know we keep saying these two teams are going to run away with it and probably they will. But along the way, there will be some upsets and there will be some, you know, tough games where unexpected results are thrown up. Um, and I think Fulham did the right thing. If it was me, I'd be going out there all guns are blazing in the first game thinking if I'm ever going to beat this team, it's going to be now. Um, and they went they went close. But ultimately, if we're looking at the whole season, I just say calm the farm. It's a, it's a learning lesson. It is a long season. Um, gaffers probably have more pressure on them than the players at this stage. Um, fair enough. But give it a few more weeks until we really settle into the season. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it takes a few weeks for, for teams to find their feet. I think overall, I think it was just a wake-up call, I think, and, and Klopp took it that way, you know, to his players. And I think it just shows that, you know, work rate beats anything. You know, you can you can come with all the stars that you want. You can come with all the trophies in your in your handbag rolling into Craven Cottage. But if you don't turn up mentally and, and don't put in the work, and I think that was the, you know, I think that was the, the thing in the first half, I think especially... But then, as you said, Amy, they, they turned it around and Klopp had that influence. And, and we could be having a different talk if Henderson scores that goal way, scores that uh, long-range shot that hits the bar late on. You know, then you know, we would talk about a great comeback and what great, great influence Klopp had. You know, so again, it's a long season. They've got a process, uh, no panic whatsoever. It's just us talking about uh, all the little issues. Going to another team, United, Manchester United's lost to Brighton. This is an absolute disgrace on the field and off the field. I'm sorry, I thought Brighton were marvellous. There's no chance when you write the teams down on paper that Brighton should have won this game. But when you know what the DNA and the, the characteristics are like at Manchester United at this moment in time and last season, Ten Hag has got a massive, massive problem inside that dressing room because they were walking around the field. It was a disgrace. And I've never seen that happen at Old Trafford. And you're going to put the pressure on Ten Hag to fix fix this, Bridgie. And I don't know that it's a quick fix, is it, mate? Because it's about culture. It's about dressing room. It's about standards. And ultimately, it's about players holding themselves accountable to to themselves and at the moment I just don't think they're doing that. That's a job he's got to do but he's got to have players inside that dressing room that drive the culture as well. I mean, you know, Ronaldo, an unbelievable player, so many goals last season and if players see him being let off not coming into training on time and doing things like that, what, what culture does that set? So he's in a very, very tough predicament but I've got to back the manager and let him try and clean the place out. Yeah, and I know for a fact he's trying to do that. You know, when they were here in Australia, I went uh, to their hotel here in Melbourne. I, I know Tom Heaton, who's the reserve keeper there, uh, had a good chat with him. And, and he said definitely he's doing whatever he can to, to change that culture, to, you know, to, to set st- strict rules, make, make the players adhere to a certain code within. Uh, but, but I agree with you, Bridget. I think when you look at the game against Brighton, uh, just the goals, like... The slack defending, the lack of effort, getting back into position, the lack of communication. 
you know, that second goal where Fred just stands and I don't know what he's watching, um, you know, to, at the back post. On the subject of Manchester United, uh, that brings me into uh, kind of the burning question here, which is which result is going to look the most out of place come the end of the season? Whose form are you not buying at all, whether it's a loss or a win, maybe something a little bit misleading? Thomas, we'll start with you. Which result from the first weekend of the Premier League by the end of game 38? Are we going to look back and say that was in no way indicative of the season that team went on to have? I think we've touched on it. I think Liverpool, uh, for sure. Um, uh, you know, they'll get back uh, to winning ways this weekend. I'm, you know, I'm confident of that. Um, I think West Ham as well. Um, you know, I think their performance against Man City was was really poor. Uh, you know, they only had 24% possession, one shot on target. They got a couple of players that looked just a little bit off. Uh, you know, Antonio is one. Uh, Susek and and Rice in midfield, I thought was was not the dominant that they normally are. So, so I think those two teams, I think, will definitely improve uh, going forward. I have to agree with you, Thomas. I have. I think the Liverpool result will just it'll be by and by, and they'll be chasing the two points um, for most of the season, I think. And it'll probably come down to you know when those two top sides face off against each other, um, where we see that tighten up. But ultimately, I think the Liverpool result will just um, it'll sit there for a little while, and and Fulham will, will write off you know how well they played against them during that game for the rest of the season. But that that one will be, I think, the one we forget about as we head toward you know the centre of the season. And if you want to talk about about West Ham, Tom, and, you know, like you said, 23% possession, one shot on target. They only had five shots all game. I don't know that there's much to talk about for them because the only thing it probably says is you did okay in defence against a team that's probably going to be pretty undefendable all season. Like, City's going to score goals. Uh, it'll be how many they actually score. Um, are they missing Noble as their leader, as their talker? Probably. Um, they're still in, in need of another centre forward, especially as we see Antonio fall in and out of form or, or if you gets injured um but yeah ultimately i think when we head back to it the liverpool result is the one that i think will fall by the wayside but i'm going to say bournemouth as well they had a great result against aston villa aston villa had an amazing pre-season i've got to say watching them against Leeds united and bournemouth and i had them getting relegated they're going to look back at that this result and think it could have possibly you know it's, it's a great start this season but realistically i can't see this continuing this trend for the rest Amy, how grateful should we be to Leeds? Because Crystal Palace came to Australia uh, for their pre-season tour and lost. Manchester United came to Australia for their pre-season tour and lost. And Aston Villa came to Australia for their pre-season tour and they lost. And and when Leeds went 1-0 down, if all four teams that had come to Australia had lost their opening game of the Premier League, would we have been waving bye-bye to Premier League teams coming here for their tours for years to come? Could we be grateful at least that Leeds turned it around and maybe we will still get some marquee friendlies <laughs> out here in pre-seasons into the future? I'm just trying to work out where the games for Leeds were because they weren't in uh, New South Wales or Victoria, were they? So it says a lot about those two states. <laughs> um but uh, yes, I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't done that analysis, uh, Tao. But yes, yeah, actually, you're a hundred percent correct. I know, uh, you know, Bridgie obviously will have a bit more insight into Leeds. He spent a lot of time with them while they were travelling around. I actually thought their preseason was pretty poor too, to be honest. Um, and certainly, you know, some of the results they had and, and over in the US, especially. Um, yeah, really scary. In fact, I think I put them on my better watch out, or you might be playing the relegation game. 
Um, and, you know, I think when Jesse Marsh came in, we thought with his, you know, his persona and his personality and the way he's taught teams to fight back, he might have given them a little bit of a, a kick in the bum or a bit of a spark, but I haven't really seen it as yet. And, you know, they might have got the win. Was it overly convincing? You know, how much are we taking out of this first game? I think that's the question we've got to go back to. It gives us a little bit of insight, but it probably doesn't tell us the full story of, of how the season will be. But, yes, if it means more teams coming back to Australia, I will take it. And, Bridgie, just a thought on Leeds, obviously, a, a team dear to your heart. But, I mean, it, it was a great fight back from them. Three points will be priceless. And they'll probably look at some of the results of other teams at the weekend. I think Aston Villa in particular and maybe think, hey, you know, we've got a strong start to the season. And they might actually start to think, you know, instead of finishing above just the three teams and just avoiding relegation this season, maybe they can be a bit more ambitious. So the recruitment has been absolutely magnificent. Six players in off the back of losing two players. And that's what they've really lacked in the, over the last couple of seasons because Bielsa was getting a lot of injuries. Players were falling down thick and fast um, and they didn't have enough recruitment to come in. This season, Leeds do. And like Amy was saying before, the results weren't great pre-season, but I could just see the dynamics and the message he was trying to get over. And finally, it came to the forefront against Wolves at the right time and then they got a result. And, and Thomas, just lastly, on some of those teams that failed to impress, uh, Aston Villa, Steven Gerrard, under fire just one game into the season. Ralph Hasenhutl uh, already seems to be perceived as a bit of a dead man walking with regards to how Southampton finished the previous season. And, and yes, they were playing Spurs and they were well beaten, but it, it just seems as though the negativity is, is starting to perpetuate out of Southampton. And then Bruno Large at, at Wolves. A few people had them as a sneaky candidate to fall into the relegation zone. And Amy uh, and Schwartzy weren't overly optimistic about Leicester City and Brendan Rodgers. I tell you, at 2-0 up, they were probably feeling a lot better before they, they blew that lead and drew two all against Brentford. Who, who do you think now is in the hottest seat, given that if a team totally misfires, I'm not sure teams will wait until the World Cup break in November to pull the trigger. There's 16 games before the World Cup break, and they're not going to want to wait almost half the season before, obviously, the clean air of a month to make a change and to have a mini preseason under a new gaffer. Yeah, no, I definitely, I think Bridget mentioned it earlier, that Hasenhutl is, is probably uh, at top of that list, I think, uh, the whole project down at Southampton, I think, uh, has, has been decent so far. You know, obviously looking at their academy, bringing through talents and, and then selling their best players. Uh, so as a business model, it's been very successful. But I think you can just see now that there's you know, just some cracks in, in that system and Hasselhood, you know, can't quite seem to turn around. But, but if we think about back, back to last year, they had a shocking start as well and, and he turned it around. So we'll, we'll have to... Uh, see what what the next couple of games bring. But I also think that, uh, you know, Everton, I think Lampard could also be uh, be one that uh, could be on, on the hot seat. I don't think Gerrard is. I think he's still too early into his his tenure there. I think there's there's still uh, some time to turn that around. But yeah, Lampard, mm, we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. So that was week one of the Premier League. Don't forget, Optus Sport brings you the feature programs, the analysis. It's now called Generation XG, the analysis show, if you want to do the tactical deep dive. And we spoke about West Ham misfiring, but their star man, the talisman, Mikel Antonio, is coming up on the big interview later this week on Optus Sport. So make sure you check that out on the Optus Sport app or website. All right, some quick fire questions, because this week is a very special week for the Premier League. It is the 30th anniversary of the very first weekend. 
so we've got a couple of just very quick fire questions. Start with the best game in 30 years of Premier League. Bridgie, what comes to mind immediately when I say best Premier League game? I never thought I'd be saying this because it's uh, from a lad from the northeast <laughs> in Newcastle at this moment in time. I'm going back to April 1996. <laughs> 1996. Liverpool 4, Newcastle United 3. Unbelievable. It stopped Kevin Keegan's um, run. It was isn't Collie Moore and Fowler. It just went right at the end. Um, what a game. Yeah, I had the same. Uh, for me, that it, it's just amplified that season. Newcastle being... You know, not time to rub it in, Bridgie, but there were 10 points ahead at Christmas and then slowly just getting dragged in. And, and then after this game at, at Anfield, then probably two or three uh, weeks later, we had that iconic, I'll love it if we beat them. Uh, so I think that season, that game was obviously the pinnacle of that season. But I think also that season goes down at one of the greatest in, in history. So uh, for me, same game. I think that, um, you know, wonderful game to look back on. There's so many of them, aren't there? But for me, it's a little bit later and it probably has something to do with my age, I think, and the team that I follow. But I went with uh, United's 3-5 win over Tottenham when they were down 3-0 at halftime to Tottenham. I don't know what Alex Ferguson said at halftime, but it obviously worked. Uh, Andy Cole, Blanc, uh, Van Nisselrooy, Veron, Beckham all get on the score sheet in the second half. And I just was, you know, that was such a great time for Manchester United. And uh, for me, it's one that stuck in my brain. The uh, the one I'll throw in is Arsenal for Liverpool 2 in April 2004. Uh, Liverpool were in front. And then, of course, Arsenal came back to win and went on to have the unbeaten season as the Invincibles. All right, the best player over the first 30 seasons of the Premier League. Uh, Amy, this time you can lead us off because I think, uh, you know, we have some suspicions. Yeah, look, I was I was going to go for uh, Ryan Giggs, but let's be honest, he's in a bit of trouble, so probably not the popular choice right now. <laughs> um, because, you know, 12 Premier League titles, eight Community Shields, four FA Cups, four League Cups, two UEFA Champions League. Yeah, I can keep going if you like, Bridgie, but I won't. Actually, I'm going to go with Henri because... Um, you know, there's... Oh, look at him. He's mind-blown. He's mind-blown. I had a whole list to choose from. And again, maybe it shows my name. Bergkamp. Ronaldo, who's like out of favour now. Cantona, Shearer. Um, you've probably got a little romantic relationship going on there, Bridgie, I'm pretty sure. But I, um, you know, I grew up watching these players uh, as a, a female who didn't have a lot of um, female idols to look up to or... or um, players to watch out for. These were the guys that I watched every weekend and these are the guys that I had, um, you know, pictures of on my wall and I'm happy to say I never had you as a poster on my wall, Bridgie. But, well, I know somebody um, did have any wall and you haven't given mention to. <laughs> Harry, you haven't mentioned. I know he was on your wall. <laughs> Thanks, Bridgie. Let me know all my secrets now. Yes, there was, a, you know, uh, my wall was plastered with posters of Premier League players and... Um, yeah, that's where that's where I'm going, and I'm going to get out right now because Bridget knows <laughs> way too many things. <laughs> Am I blushing? Uh, oh my God, it's a podcast. I, I think as well. You know, if you look at the statistics, you know, it depends on how you judge this. Do you judge it by, uh, you know, what the accolades and the goals and the games and everything else, or, or do you do you look at the the holistic approach and and what goes on off the field? Because I think. You can't argue that Ryan Giggs, with everything he's done on the pitch, is, is the greatest of all time. But, uh, you know, with everything, uh, it has tarnished his image a, a fair bit. And I'm not a fan of his. Um, I like players that, you know, that uh, has the whole package. Um, so, again, I, I agree. I played against Henri, I think, in his day. I think he was unbelievable. 
one of the best players I've ever played against. Um, just also unpredictable. And, and then again, playing in that team, I think uh, if, if it's not Ryan Giggs, I think Terry Henry is the one for me. Alan Shearer, without a shadow of a doubt, for a man that went and, you know, 30-plus goals for so many seasons and did it at Southampton, had a crack with Blackburn Rovers, won the title, could have gone and played for Manchester United possibly, but he's stuck by his roots. And yeah, he, he still managed to score goals and produce in a team that sometimes had the best players in the world under Keegan and sometimes didn't, but he still managed to find the back of the net. Um, and he was a big mentor of mine as well. So Alan Shearer, hands down for me. Well, if you want to go down memory lane and enjoy some of that nostalgic content about 30 years of the Premier League, it is all on the Optus Sport app and website. Make sure you check it out. You're listening to the Gegen Pod, Optus Sports football podcast on the other side this short break, we're going to talk about La Liga, which is kicking off this weekend. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to the Gegen Pod on Optus Sport. In the pod today, we've got former Matilda Amy Duggan, former Danish international and Premier League legend Thomas Sorensen and former Premier League star Michael Bridges. And we are going to talk about La Liga, Real Madrid, Barcelona, 38 times you can watch them this season on Optus Sport as they compete in arguably, given that Real Madrid are the champions of Europe, the best league in the world. I think we've been calling the Premier League the best league in the world for such a long time, but that's because it's so competitive top to bottom. Amy, what's really you know uh, your intrigue as La Liga comes to Optus Sport for the new season? Oh, it's, it's something new, isn't it? And I guess some of the best players in the world are there. As you said, you know, you've got your Champions League winners as well. You've got the Super Copa um, or the Super Cup being played. Um, you've got the El Clasico, you've got players with some immense technical talent and uh, um, flair. And I think the the thing that sets probably the Premier League and the La Liga apart is the passion. And it's not the passion. It, it's the passion from fans. It's the passion on the pitch. And that's not to say the Premier League doesn't have it, but the La Liga just has it in spades. It's entertaining, um, you know, and I, I really do think, you know, I know you're going to ask me soon who's going to win, but it will be similar to the Premier League, isn't it? I think there will be two teams at the top, um, but I think we're going to see some remarkable goals, some magic moments, and I'm just super excited to learn more also about some of the teams I don't get to watch play, um, you know, top flight football in the Champions League, for example. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm really excited to see this league uh, on Optus Sport and watch all, you know, all, what is there, 380 games, I think. Oh, it's uh, a fantastic uh, addition 
to your weekend to have La Liga there as well. But we need to talk about Barcelona off the top because they have gone on a spending spree in this offseason. Robert Lewandowski is the big name, but Jules Kunde and also Rafinha, they are padding out the squad with names and wages that would have seemed perhaps impossible this time last year when Leo Messi was moving on to Paris Saint-Germain in tears at Barcelona's inability to keep him. Uh, Thomas, uh, if you've uh, read the articles that have been on Optus Sport, maybe watched the video packages explaining how they've done it, they've effectively mortgaged their future. They've sold a, a big percentage of their television rights for the next 15 to 20 years to a private equity firm, and they are spending for the now. They really are quite literally mortgaging their future to try and win in the short term. Yeah, no, I think Laporte has said it uh, quite clearly. They, you know, they are desperate. You know, they're, they're, they're sitting there with, with a negative equity of nearly half a billion euros. Um, and, and so what they've gone out and done is it's obviously, as you said, mortgaged their future, sold some of their rights uh, to get some money in uh, to, to cover all these uh, shortfalls that they have. Um, so, so, yes, they are, they are at the roulette table, um, so to speak. But I think it's, it's about survival. I think if they don't do this, they... Um, you know, they, 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 they might not exist. Uh, but then we can then go into, do they need to sign all these players? They could have signed one or two because they need to cut, cut their, their wage bills. So, so they're really just pushing, you know, that problem further down the road. But uh, for us, who wants to sit and watch uh, La Liga, I think it's great that we see these players and, and great that we can hopefully, if they can get these players registered, uh, that we can get to see a good Barcelona, competitive Barcelona side and, and we can have that great Le Clasico again because it was a little bit dire last season. The fans will be absolutely buzzing as the, you know, us as viewers watching La Liga once again will be. But what, what I've got to say, I really, really feel for the future of Barcelona because they're putting all their eggs in one basket, but it's not just that. And you've got a wage bill like Barcelona. There's only so many clubs in the world that are able to mm. buy your players and pay their wages like that they can. So they could still be left with these, like they're having with the situation with De Jong. It could be a logistical nightmare. This this could be really bad for the future of Barcelona. Is it going to ruin careers? Like I feel, I feel like not just now, but in the future. Maybe I'm conservative, but what they're sacrificing now, if this gamble doesn't, if it does pay off, wonderful. They'll be, you know, they'll be amazing. But if it doesn't pay off, what then? Because like you said, they've they've mortgaged everything for the future. It's going to have an impact on what they're paying players. They've already cut players' salaries that they wanted to stay on there. And we've seen in Frankie de Jong's case, that's causing them some issues. But, you know, don't forget, they've got Roberto and um, Dembele, also two players, which they've bought but can't register because they've not bought they've re-signed them and then and they can't register them what's going to happen if one they can't register them that's the first question are we absolutely confident that they will I, I feel you know quietly confident but you know until it's across the line you don't know and then what happens in the future like you said to some of the players that that can't go anywhere else what they've lost sight of is it, Barcelona have not got a wage structure and it's just being blown all out of proportion the amount of debt the wages are in. I'm not bothered about them signing players this season. It's the wage debt that is going to continue on for the next four or five seasons that's really going to hurt this football club. And the players are being like made next. De Jong is a lovely, lovely guy by all accounts off the field and on the field he's an absolute diamond and he's being punished. I really feel for the for some of the players. Yeah, and I also think the worrying sign is how they do the business. You know, like... It seems to be, you know, down, dirty in the gutter, you know, at the moment, uh, the way they are treating the young, you know, how contract details have been leaked. Um, and in my book, it can really only come from the club. 
So I don't think it, it really, you know, first of all, you have all the financials, but then also the way they run it. It just seems, uh, you know, very unethical. And, and as you said, they gave these contracts out, so they can't really sit there and cry about it. Um, and they need to solve it in the right manner, which they don't seem to <laughs> be doing. I think we need to move on, Teo, because I don't want to talk about gutter, about the way a, a club handles their gutter. I want to talk about how amazing they're going to be on the field when they get all these five new players and their, their two re-signings back out on the pitch. So let's talk about how exciting it's going to be. It's funny you say that because I, I was literally about to ask, is is the moral trade-off here that if you win on the field, the fans won't care about how the sausage was made or about how the cake was baked? And it's safe to say that with the games kicking off, we're going to be watching. We're going to be excited and dazzled by the football that Barcelona play, regardless of what it's taken to find the money to assemble this team. With that said, Real Madrid are the defending champions and they are the European champions. So, Amy, who's actually going to win La Liga this season? Well, this is a big question, right? It comes down to can Barcelona get all those players on the pitch with some um, game time under their belt? I think the El Clasico is going to split this. Um, I really do think, you know, Real uh, is probably going to go in big favourites for this one. Um, Again, uh, obviously champions of the world at the moment in their eyes. So um, I I think we'll go down that path again. But if Barcelona can get all their players out on the pitch, there's some matchups there that are just awesome. Like you look at Benzema and Lewandowski, you look at, you know, some of the midfield matchups. I think it'll be very, very entertaining. But I do think those top two will will run the league. Very simple. Uh, Ancelotti. I think, again, we'll, we'll run his magic. Uh, they've signed a couple of players. Rudiger, obviously, uh, the, the biggest name, maybe. Uh, yeah, I just think they're just uh, more a team. I think they're well-drilled under Ancelotti. Uh, and uh, Barcelona, no matter who they feel, still have to find their feet. I think still have to integrate all these players. So I, I, I think for this season, for sure, Real Madrid. You know, I don't think Simone has, has totally worn out the players at Atletico. So... Uh, you know, I think they've got enough star players there. Morata is, is back, uh, scored three goals at the weekend in a friendly against Juventus. So uh, I still tip Atletico to be uh, best of the rest. Um, but yeah, Villarreal, I think, uh, could spring a surprise there um, as well. Tommy Villarreal finished sec- seventh last season, thought they had a good run in Europe. And um, yeah, it's I, I can see them doing, if not breaking into that top four, possibly. I don't think they're going to be title contenders, but definitely fighting for that Champions League spot this season without a shadow of a doubt. Well, you can see La Liga on Optus Sport from 4.30am Eastern Time on Saturday morning. And it is Sevilla playing in the opening game. And they are up against the club of John Aloisi, Osasuna. And if you jump onto the Optus Sport app, you can see John Aloisi's season preview as well. That video is live now on Optus Sport. All right, let's get into some Aussies overseas on the topic of John Aloisi. And Thomas, I'm going to come to you because Matty Ryan, he's decided to say goodbye to La Liga. He's left Sociedad and moved to Copenhagen, a team that you no doubt will know well, given he is going to Denmark. Obviously, it's uh, an important move for his career to be the number one choice goalkeeper heading into the World Cup. But the fact he'd uh, fallen out of favour at Brighton and then Sociedad means he's just looking for some number one gloves somewhere. How do you rate the move and what is this going to do for Matty Ryan's career? You know, I think uh, it's a great move for him. I think overall it was about getting game time. Uh, that was that was the, the main issue. Um, and, 
you know, Copenhagen had a, a slow start to the season, but had a massive uh, derby win at the weekend uh, against Bromby. Um, so, so they're on the up, and, and they need a keeper to keep their normal number one is, is injured, and they only got a young kid in there at the moment. So, so he will slot right in, and, and, and we'll have some time to, to, you know, again, stake his claim for that number one jersey. And I'm sure he will. You know, he's still in his prime, and he needs to be playing. Uh, and Copenhagen is a great, uh, great chance for him to to sort of get his career back on track. Denmark, uh, sort of as a society, is very similar to Australia. Uh, the people are quite similar. So, so for him, I think it it'll be fairly easy just to to slot in there. Uh, and again, the, the league is fairly competitive. Some good teams in there. Uh, you know, he'll play in Europe as well. You know, so so I think overall. Great, great stepping stone. Is, is he going to play there for 20 years? I don't think so. But, but it, you know, for where he is now, it, it's certainly a lot, lot better than sitting on a bench uh, down in Real Sociedad. You know, they're playing in the National Stadium, parking in, in Copenhagen, um, getting 20, 30, 40,000 uh, every week. And, um, you know, I think he, he just needs to show, like any, any club you go to, you know, just show the passion, show the appreciation of the fans, and then just do what he wants, what, what he normally does. He puts in great performances. Um, you know, I, I think he will have no problem endearing himself to the crowd there. Um, they, um, they love a good player, and he certainly is one. All right, another Aussie who might potentially be on the move, unfortunately heading away from a club that's in the Champions League. Aydin Rustic isn't featuring for Eintracht Frankfurt at the moment. The rumours are that Salernitana in Serie A might be the leading team to secure his services. Bridgie, not ideal given that he played a pretty important role in that Europa League final against Rangers, scoring a penalty in the shootout. Now it looks like he might be leaving the Bundesliga and going to Italy. What do you make of the future of Aydin Rustic, given he became so important to the Socceroos during the business end of qualifying for the World Cup? Yeah, I thought he was absolutely magnificent last season. His game was going to a whole new level, making waves and noises all around Europe and around the world with his performances. And like you say, his goal in in that game against Rangers, um, going to a team that are really going to struggle in Serie A, survived relegation last season by sticking their teeth, didn't get relegated. The, the, the joy that I would say if I was him, I'm going to play alongside Frank Ribery, um, which I think is an absolute one of one of the legends. Um, so, I, I, you know, it's going to be interesting. Roma first up for them. I don't like to say it against players, but I believe it's a, it, it, it's a, a, a bad move. Um, I don't know what it is like financially, but I wouldn't be making that move when you're settled somewhere and you, you're getting that opportunity. But if a club decides that they're going to capitalise on you, there's nothing you can do, unfortunately, and you've got to go where, where the team is wanting you. I don't. I don't think he's making this move because he wants to. I think you know if you listen to any of his recent interviews and um, around playing, you know, in Frankfurt, he, he, like this is a kid that left home at fifteen, and I know he spent some time in Holland and he really grew up there. But he, he said only a couple of months ago he loves being in in Frankfurt. He loves the you know he's really settled there. He, he loves playing for the side. Um, I think, you know, the only bonus that we look is if you get more game time, I guess. You know, he is a self-professed big game player. And as we've seen, he loves a set piece, um, which is, you know, a really important part of his game. But I I really do think this is just about game time. And as you said, Bridgie, I'm not sure he's the one really wanting to make this jump. Amy, just on some other Aussies overseas, Aaron Moy 
uh, has played two games off the bench as Ange Postacoglu has won two from two with Celtic. Martin Boyle, his trip to the Middle East wasn't uh, the longest journey. He's back at Hibernian and he actually scored a stoppage time equaliser for Hibs upon his return. So we've got the Aussies playing in Scotland. We've got so many of them playing in Scotland, but it's good to see Aaron Moy getting more game time and obviously Martin Boyle is going to be a pretty important part of the Socceroos in Qatar as well. Yeah, absolutely. I always want your Aussie players to be playing minutes on the pitch and I think as we head into the World Cup, um, you know, the countdown is really, really on. We've got a really short lead into this now. And the most important thing here is time. I hope, you know, I know we've seen Boy, uh, Moy come off the bench. I'm hoping uh, we see him start a few games in the next few weeks once his fitness starts to build up again. And if he can have an impact, um, that's even that that's even more important in the Hibs Hearts game. Of course, Martin Boyle, uh, that goal, the celebration even was um, absolutely fantastic. Again, it's good to see him on the score sheet, and that's exactly what you want from your players uh, as you're heading into as you're heading into a World Cup. You want them to feel strong. You want them to feel confident. You want them to feel fit. Um, so really, it's all just about minutes. And I think it would be if we're talking Scottish Premier League. I just have to throw in uh, Jacinda Galabatarachi's hat trick um, on the weekend. I know that was a romping in a 9-0 win, but so awesome to see uh, another young Aussie on the score sheet over in Scotland. Yeah, I think it's great. Finally, you, you know what I was talking about in the Premier League when we had lots of Australians playing around you, but especially at Leeds United when I was there, it's really sad to see you know, only one involved in the Premier League now at Fulham. And it's great to see another pathway and another avenue where Australians are getting um, an opportunity to play and showcase themselves before making that move somewhere else in Europe or in, into England. And it's even better known that you've got Ange Postacoglu as a manager. And not only that, you haven't mentioned the man that uh, Amy's a big fan of. Harry Kuehl is there as a, as a as a coach with Ange as well. So it's, it's absolutely fantastic to see that connection of Australian football at Celtic. I mean, not just one of the biggest clubs, if not the biggest club in Scotland, sorry Rangers fans, but one of the biggest clubs in the world. So it's absolutely brilliant. Well, it would be remiss of us not to mention Rangers because they were 2 nil down to Union Saint-Gilar of Belgium after the first leg of their most recent Champions League qualifying match. They roared back to win 3 nil this morning, meaning they go through and they will actually face PSV Eindhoven, who themselves needed to go to extra time to knock out Monaco. And so Ange Postacoglu's already waiting in the group stage, but one of Rangers or PSV Eindhoven will join Celtic at that round of the competition. And the reason PSV is significant is their manager is Premier League legend Ruud van Nistelrooy. And he might be a little bit offended that we didn't bring up his name when we were talking about the best players of the last 30 years in the Premier League. Tommy, as someone who uh, faced off against Ruud van Nistelrooy many times in your career, what's it like to see him now as a manager? Did you ever think he might go on to become a boss? And the fact that he's got PSV now a one-two-legged tie away from the Champions League group stage would suggest his first uh, senior managerial appointment is going pretty well. Yeah, it's going well. And, and- he was, uh, I think, a technical director or commercial director before at the club, so he's he, he definitely knows the club inside and out. Uh, and yeah, if uh, if he can, some of the, the uh, you know, I think things he had had as a player, if he can transfer that onto the pitch, uh, and he seems to be doing that, it, it, w- it would be great for PSV. And I, I think that result they had against Monaco, Monaco is one of the best teams in France, and and I expect it to push uh, PSG all the way. So. So that is a great result in, in, in its own right. Um, and now, yes, they're in for a, a, a tough uh, next round. But, but again, uh, I think he's doing a great job. It's definitely off to a, to a great start as a manager. 
And can I just say, another player under Alex Ferguson that has gone in to mm. manage in professional environment as a head coach. It's um, it's incredible the players that have gone on that played under him. Um, I, I find it fascinating. Says a lot about his uh, managerial style, doesn't it, Bridgie, and the impact that he has on players, not just on the park, but obviously off the park, and that they want to emulate, you know, what he did, I think. But it worries me all these strikers becoming um, coaches. I thought the brains were at the back. Oh, yeah, I didn't yeah. know we had anything <laughs> against us strikers. It's all about us. No. It's us. It's us. <laughs> no, we, we, we're too smart, Amy. We, we stay in the background. <laughs> all. <laughs> all right. Well, to bring us home on the Gegen Pod this week, rather than get your, your predictions for the weekend, because uh, we've got a, a bumper weekend of Premier League coming up on Optus Sport. It kicks off at 9.30pm Eastern on Saturday night with Aston Villa against Everton. Arsenal are playing Leicester at midnight as we go into Sunday morning. Man City are hosting Bournemouth. Man United, they are away to Brentford, so a vital game for them. Chelsea, Tottenham, 1.30am Eastern time, Monday morning. That's the blockbuster game. And don't forget, Liverpool are playing Crystal Palace in the first Tuesday morning game of the season. That'll be at 5am Eastern on Tuesday morning. I'm not going to ask for your tips. I just want one last comment from you on the best and worst kit of the new season because this video that uh, went out on Optus Sports Social went absolutely crazy. Uh, one of the uh, the very esteemed uh, social media producers behind the scenes here ranked them 20 to 1. I don't think it was a consensus by any means. He just uh, put them in the order he saw fit. But uh, I want to ask you, best kit and worst kit of the new season. Uh, Thomas, we'll start with you. Uh, I think the worst kit, uh, even though it's it's from a Danish producer, I think Southampton. Uh, I don't I don't like that kit. Uh, uh, <laughs> You know, they might go down as well. Bridgie's celebrating. I don't know why Bridgie is celebrating. And, and, and what a season. What a, what a season. They could go down. Hasselhut could get sacked and they got the worst kit. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, and actually... Uh, they're going to be in financial yeah. trouble because nobody in their right mind would buy that. Well, it, it's supposed no. to represent uh, the sea. It's supposed to represent yeah, the sea, and it. Just I'd looks put it like, in the sea it if I bought like it. Hands. It's yeah. it looks like hands. It doesn't even look like waves. It's a little bit crazy. <laughs> um, and, and then I, I've gone. Okay, I've gone a little bit left field with with the uh, the best kit. I actually think Portsmouth. I uh, oh, so Bournemouth, but uh, not Portsmouth. Uh, but it's down on the coast, Bournemouth. Uh, I quite like that uh, sort of lightning uh, down the middle. Uh, it's different. Um, so yes, you would normally go with with some of the more cl- clinical, you know, Arsenal, you know, maybe Man United, but now nah. for something different, Bournemouth, I think they've nailed it with uh, some modern uh, lightning at the front. Yeah, I, I agree with Tommy there. I like the Bournemouth one. I don't like the Bournemouth away one, but for me, I never thought I would say this, but I love Arsenal's kit. I just think it's absolutely lovely this season and I'm going to give Leeds United another shout out. I saw theirs pre-season getting launched um, and I like that, the embroidery inside of it as well. Um, so yeah, they're the twos for me. The standout is, is Arsenal for me this season on their kit. Leeds, uh, Leeds home kit might be all right, but their their third kit, Bridgie, I know I said this last week, it looks like mum threw the bleach in the washing machine with that third kit. Uh, it's horrid. <laughs> Not as bad as Southampton's. Um, Amy, you do know what's happened with a lot of them gold. shirts as well, because it, it's funny you say that. The third shirt has actually, there's a lot of them gone missing 
because there was a tanker. Or gone wrong. Or gone wrong. Well, I don't know whether they've realised they've made a mistake and they've actually got rid of one of the thing, one of the um, tankers that was bringing it over on the ship, or the container, sorry, has actually fallen off with all the away sh- the third shirts in and is lying in the bottom of the ocean somewhere, I do believe. So there you go. Yeah, Maybe they did they realise they made a mistake. Yeah, Southamptons. Yeah, I bet. Um, <laughs> for, <laughs> for best kit, oh, I'm, I'm a sucker for simplicity. Uh, like you, I, I like the simple ones and, and I like them to look clean. I actually think Fulham's is not too bad, um, but I uh, Nottingham's clean too. Um, but I have chosen Tottenham's home jersey because it's just, it's lovely, it's fresh, and it's just got that little bit of trim. And I think, you know, if you're looking for a, a nice clean cut, it's... Um, it's good. And look, I didn't choose Manchester United. You guys should be happy. Well, thank you all for the podcast this morning. Uh, certainly some great insight into football. Don't forget the La Liga competition kicks off on Optus Sport this weekend. The Premier League and the J League roll on as well. Make sure you like, subscribe, rate us five stars as well if you do listen in to the Optus Sport Pod. Mark Schwartz will be storming back to talk about Bundesliga next week as well. But on behalf of Amy Duggan, Thomas Sorensen and Michael Bridges, my name is Teo Pellis. Zeri, thanks for joining us on the Optus Sport Gegenpod. We'll speak to you next week.